We are continuing in our study of what is a healthy church, and um, we've been talking about different characteristics that come out of Romans 12, and, and if you look on the back of the, of the notes, you'll see the list of, of things, and, and I hope that I'm making the point to you, the very important point that, that this is all connected, that all of these characteristics, it's not one, you can't just kind of pick and say like, oh, we're going to be a discipling church and a disciple church, but that humble part we don't really like, or I don't like that surrendered part. Um, you can't really have one without the other. And the health of the church, as I said at the very, very beginning, doesn't depend on all of us being at the same place. It depends, the healthy church is the church where all of us are moving in the same direction. That this picture that we have in mind, we're moving in the same direction. And I wanna invite you, I wanna tell you that if anything that I'm saying up here, when I tell you what a healthy church is, when I say what I think Romans 12 is telling us, what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, inspired by God, to tell us what a healthy church is, if there's anything you go, wait, that, that's wrong. That's really not a healthy church. Or I don't like that element. I think we can be healthy without it. I invite you to come talk to me. Send me a question. Ask me. Because if I do this right, if I do this right, there will be something on this list that makes you uncomfortable. There will be something on this list that will challenge you. Because you know you're not doing it or you're not doing it as well as you could. And I, I want you to, to be bugged by it. I want you to, be, to, to, to make it help you have to think about it, not just in your own life, but in our church. We're not gonna move and become a healthier church unless we realize, first of all, those areas where we need to grow and develop, and the only way is to uncover them. It can't be an accident. You know, it's the thing you hate when you go to the doctor, you know, and I don't think doctors do this anymore, but for some reason when I was a kid, I, think, I thought they always did this. If you went in and said like, it hurts, and then they would start going, hurts here? And they'd like poke you in all these places. And of course you're like, you know, you kind of don't want them to find it because if they poke that way on where it hurts, it's really gonna hurt. Well, doctor was doing what doctor needed to do. Doctor needed to figure out where it was hurting so doctor could figure out how to help. And again, it's this, this thing that, that we should be thinking about it. Because I know I'm not alone in this, but I can't tell you I have a number because I haven't asked people directly about this. But I'm gonna tell you this, this church that I read about in Romans 12, that's the church I wanna be a part of. That's the direction I wanna go. And I'm just praying that all of you wanna to go to healthy church. A healthy church is a a surrendered, diverse church. A church that's discipled. 
and discipling. But not discipling simply to give more information so we know all the trivia about the Bible and God and we can quote scripture and we can you know, answer all the questions about doctrine and everything. No, we are being discipled so that we become more like Christ. And one of the fundamental, fundamental ways we become more like Christ is that we are humble. And as we sang in this song about, you know, we, we bow our hearts, we bow our, our knees. God, come make us humble. Because when we're humble, our church is stronger because we're not here based on what I get out of this, but we're thinking about the interest of others. We're thinking about the interest of not just those people who happen to agree with me, but we're thinking about the interest of others, especially those who don't agree with me. And so we're being discipled to become more like Christ and being humble and looking out for the interest of others, but also in serving. And as Bill Leake read earlier about that, that passage of scripture when, when you know, Mary brings, um, John and James's mother um, brings her boys and says, you know, can one of them sit on your right hand and left hand because she thinks Jesus is going to be this powerful king and she, she's trying to get her, her sons right there next to the powerful king. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You really don't know what it means to follow me. This isn't going to end in a comfortable palace with me sitting on a throne and, and the disciples next to me and us governing over this empire. This is going to end with suffering. It's going to end with sacrifice. You need to know that. But he says, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he's saying, you, you, you're going to be like, they're, they're going to be like me in that. And today we're going to talk about how he wants us to be the same way. When we're becoming more like Christ, we're not only looking out for the interest of others, but we're looking at how we can serve others. And again, not serve others who are just like us. Anybody can do that. But to serve the ones who are most unlike us. You see, in the world, the world talks about giving, people giving. But whenever it talks about giving, there's always this hint of taking. Even when it talks about unconditional giving. It really can't talk about unconditional giving. There's always something on the other side. I remember, you know, this, um, this fundraising campaign and everybody would recognize the organization. I remember it because, because it so summed up, summed up the best that the world could offer. And it was uh, the United Way, and I don't know if they still use this slogan, but they used this back in like the like late 80s and 90s. And they would, they would have TV commercials and radio ads and print ads, and the slogan would be something like this, give because it feels so good. Give because it feels so good. It's the best the world can do. 
The best the world can do is give, give, because something's coming back to you. And maybe what's coming back to you is a feeling that I made a difference. Maybe I'm investing in the future. Maybe my legacy is going to live on. But I'm not just giving. I'm not just giving to give. Somehow, some way, I got to get something out of that. Even if I'm humble enough to say, it's an anonymous gift, don't tell anybody. I don't need the praise, I don't need to thank you. You don't need to put my name on the building, no, no, no parades in my honor. But I at least got to feel good about it. You see, the kind of serving, the kind of giving that Jesus is talking about is the kind of serving and giving that you do not because of what you're going to get back. You do it simply because it's who you are. You are a servant, you serve. You are a giver, you give. You don't do it because it feels so good. Because if you only are going to serve and give when it feels so good, as soon as it stops feeling good, more than likely you are going to stop giving and serving. And by the way, there's other people on the other side, kind of masochists, people who like to feel pain, and they give and serve because it feels so bad, and they want to feel bad. It's still about their feelings. No, as Christians, we give because it's who we are. It's not how we feel. It's not what we know or how what we give will affect us. It's not so that people will remember us or thank us or honor us. No. We're called to serve. We've been remade if we're truly in Christ with his spirit, to serve. If you want evidence that Christ's spirit is alive in you, then you have this need inside of you to serve. And to serve, simply to serve. You can't explain it. It's not because you're getting anything out of it. It's not because people are expressing gratitude. It's not because it's working and you can see the success. You serve because you serve and you have this desire inside of you to do it. And I'm gonna challenge you, if it's not there, if you're the kind of person who only serves because you get something out of it, you need to ask yourself this question, are you really Christ? Does Christ really have you? Do you really have his spirit in you? Remember, this way that Jesus served, who he served, he served us, and we didn't deserve it. Earlier in Romans, and um, Paul will talk about us, and he'll say, we were enemies of God. We weren't just enemies, we were in active rebellion, and he served us. We rejected him, and he served us. We, we not only rejected him, we not only wanted a divorce, we went out and remarried other gods. 
and he served us. We just said, ah, there's no God. There is no God. He served us. If we serve like Christ, we don't serve because we get something out of it. We just serve because it's who we are. You see, we can't get in this idea that Christ serves us because somehow he needs it. That he serves us because there's, there's something that he gets back from it. He does get things back from it, just like you will get things back from serving. There was this kind of movement back in the 90s when people kind of got this notion, and it's kind of true, where they're like, oh, I want to give all the, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to take any credit for anything. So if you, if you thanked a Christian who was involved in this, they'd be like, it's not me. It's all God. And it's okay to say that if that's what you want to say. But understand, it's not wrong for someone to thank you for serving. It's wrong to serve so that you will be thanked. Understand the difference? The huge difference. It's not wrong to, to feel good about serving. It's wrong to serve so that you can feel good. It's not wrong to serve to want to make a difference. It's wrong when you, when that's, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not wrong to make a difference because you served. It's wrong to serve because you're trying to make a difference. We serve because it's who we are. If we're truly Christ, we're truly in Christ. It's who he's made us to be. We can't always say why. We don't always know why. And if anybody is going to be remembered, if anybody is going to be thanked, if anybody is going to be honored, the one we want to be remembered and thanked and honored is not our name. Jesus Christ. We want his name to continue. I'm, I remember growing up with this, and I'm not putting you down if you did this. Just understand, it's, I understood why people did it, but it always kind of was unsettling to me. When they would have a church fundraising campaign to do something, build something, or whatever, and one of the motivations was so that you could get your name on something. You know, give enough money, get your name on a pew, get your name on a brick, get your name on a toilet stall, something. You get your name on something, right? But you know, I think the healthy church, you know the healthy church, if we did that, without me saying it or anybody else saying it, anybody making a donation would say like, you know on that pew, put Jesus' name. If you're going to put a name on the building, put Jesus' name. If you're going to put a name anywhere, it's Jesus' name. Because his name is the name that must continue. Not mine, not yours, not even the name of Wiley Baptist Church. It's the name of Jesus. All we do is we serve 
And we trust and we believe that whatever God is calling us to do and to serve and how to serve, that it will serve his purposes even if we cannot see them. Even if it will not be evident in our lifetime. We're faithful. We serve. So Paul, he's, he's been unpacking, you know, how... The Roman Christians at this church should live out the gospel they believe. And we come to the text for today where he says in verse 6 of chapter 12 that here in this body, this one united body, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul will write in another letter in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about spiritual gifts. He says that this, this, the Spirit gives gifts to each member. And he kind of reinforces there the point that he's making here, that every member of the church, everybody who's, who's a, who's a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, who has committed to join with this church, every one of you has a ministry in this church. Every one of you has a spiritual gift. And I'm pretty sure that nowhere is there just the spiritual gift of showing up. It is important to show up. I'm not going to lie to you. And I think when we show up to things, we, we help, we, we support the teacher when we're at that class or in that Bible study or that home fellowship or with that choir or that ministry or even here in the worship service. It's an encouragement to one another. Don't get me wrong, showing up is important. But we're called to do more than show up. Let me tell you that sometimes I get it. My wife and I actually went through, oh, maybe almost two full months. I think in all the time we've been married, since 91. It's a long time for me. Um, I don't know about her. Maybe a short time for her. But in all those years, there's only been about a two-month period where we actually have sat next to each other in church and didn't do anything in the church. All the rest of the time, one or both of us was serving in the church. And we needed that time. We had just moved to Texas. I was starting my master's. Um, we had come out of a super busy Hawaii. You know, we were not just trying to move, and we had our... Uh, we had two daughters at that time, and one of them was just not even 10 months old yet. And, and then there was, you know, Kiyomi, who was about, what is he, two, running around crazy. And we were trying to move. We had, you know, multiple jobs. We are doing all this money. To, we are doing all these things to save money because, we're, I'm, you know, we're going to go to seminary. I'm going to go start seminary. And when we get there, I'm not going to have a job. And we're trying to get all that together. And so then we, we get there having served at a church full-time, both of us working full-time jobs, raising the kids, doing all of that. We get there, and because of different things, 
that first semester, you know, I was taking a full load of classes. You know, Cheryl was, um, you know, starting to work and, um, and, and still take care of the kids. And I was doing like three or four jobs. And we had been at this church doing their worship in an interim level. And some things happened with their interim pastor that uh, just, that was it. We had to stop. And we stopped. And we went somewhere. And we went to another church, and we sat, and it was good. We were doing something we should have done before. We, we rested. Now, if you know anything about my wife, my wife's resting doesn't look like the rest of most human beings resting. When she's like running around the house, you know, she says she's resting. And we don't rest for very long, but it was good. Two, three months, just resting, not doing anything, not teaching, not serving on committees, not in any form of leadership. I think God brings us into seasons like that, but those seasons aren't meant to be permanent, that we're all called to serve. If you become a Christian when you're six years old, the Bible doesn't say you get to kind of just hang out until you get to be 25 and then you should serve. No, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you serve when you're six. There's no retirement age of when we can stop serving. What we actually do, yeah, that's going to change. We can't always do all the things we used to do when we were younger. Those things are going to change but we still serve. We serve. We serve because it's who we are. We've been given gifts. Every member is called to serve. Serving is one of those fundamental expressions of humility, the way Paul has just described it, looking out for the interest of others, not placing myself above, the, above others. You guys know I coached cross country and I was you know, I got back from the mainland on Friday and Saturday we had our OIA East Championships. And one of the things I tell the runners when they're near the end of the race, you know, half a mile, three quarters of a mile in, I tell them, I tell the ones that I can see it on their face. They're, they're, they're in pain and all this, and I tell them the same thing. I say, everybody hurts. Everybody's tired. Keep running. Keep running. You can sit there and feel sorry for yourself because you think no one hurts like you. It's not true. They might not have the same hurts as you, but everybody hurts. But we keep serving. We keep going. You see, when we're discipled, we learn again how to be more like Christ and how to serve better. We learn how to get all that self-interest out, all that self-centeredness out of our serving, and we only serve because it's who we are. Discipleship. Discipleship itself is one way you can serve. You know, some of you have lived a little more life than I have lived. And some of you 
God has given you experiences and wisdom. And God wants you to give that away. Give it away. But you might go, ah, nobody wants to listen to me. You know what? When you serve, you don't care if anybody's listening. You just serve. Oh, you know, those young people, I don't understand them. You just serve. Sam, he asks every time he gets together with the group of the other people in the church, he always says, we want people to come down and share something with our preschool children. You see, you're not just sharing with them that craft or that snack. You're sharing life with them. You're serving these preschool children. And I'm going to tell you, I don't understand preschoolers. I have to do chapel for them every week, and I can't figure out how their brains work. I try my best. My wife thinks it's easy because she thinks I think like a two-year-old. But <laughs> it's really hard. But I do it, and I love doing it. It's a challenge. I've been teaching them Hebrew. So if you hear our preschoolers saying things like, Bereshith barach Elohim, you got it from me. We serve. Whatever God has given to us, he wants us to give it away. And he wants us to give it away every day to our very last day, our very last breath. He wants us to give it away. It's how we serve. He says, we serve according to God's gifts and not according to our desires. I don't just serve in the ways I want to or the ways I like or the ways that are comfortable. I serve according to God's gifts. I don't try to do things that I'm really not qualified to do unless God is telling me to do it. But there's so many things that we can all do. You see, when I acknowledge that these are gifts, as it says there, it removes all pride. God didn't give me the gift because somehow I deserved it. It was a gift. In fact, all I have now, if God gives me the gift, is an obligation. And the obligation is to use it. Every blessing that he's poured out on us our obligation is to use it. And we use it in serving one another. And see, he's talking specifically about some things. He's talking about prophecy. He's talking about service. He's talking about teaching. He's talking about exhorting. Exhorting just means kind of like encouraging someone else in a strong way. And really encouraging them not with like, Come on, you're awesome, and giving them self-affirmation, but exhorting them in God's word. It says the one who contributes, the one who leads, the one who does acts of mercy. It's so many things, so broad. Some, some involve teaching and being up front, and some involve being behind the scenes and just looking out and helping others. Constantly looking. 
constantly helping. It changes. I get it. Sometimes it changes. Sometimes as we, when we're younger, the, how we served was a certain way, but as we get older, it changes, and as we get even older, it changes even more. And sometimes we think it stops. Sometimes we think like, you know, um, I can't even get out anymore. I bear, it takes everything I can just to even come to church. How could God possibly use me to serve others? The guy writing this letter 2,000 years ago, he wrote at least four, probably six letters. And he wrote them while he was chained in a small apartment to a Roman soldier. He was chained. If anybody had the right to say, what can I do? God, you want me to be your missionary. I should be traveling to Spain and to up there up to the north at you know, Britain. And, and I should be going, taking your gospel you know, farther past Asia Minor. That's what I should be doing. But you have me chained in this little room. Paul could have been the, the best candidate to say, just going to sit here and play canasta with the guard. I don't know what canasta is. It just came to my brain. But he doesn't. He says, if I can't move from here, this Roman guard here is going to hear about Jesus. I'm going to invite people to come into my little room, and they're going to hear about Jesus. And I'm going to write letters. Letters that he thought were just going to go help a church maybe a hundred people, maybe a couple hundred. But he just thought, oh, I'm going to write this letter. Or he might have written a, written a personal letter. It's going to go help my, my, my little brother in Christ, Timothy, or Titus. But I'm going to write that letter. 2,000 years later, we still read those letters. Paul's letters have literally changed the world. And just think, if he had thought, I, God cannot use me in this little box, there's nothing he can do. We wouldn't have that. We have no excuse. We serve the way that God gifts. We serve not according to our desires. We serve out of obligation because of the gifts we've received. And the last point is this. Look back at the text, if you have it open. The last verse, verse 8, it says, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's, an, there's a spirit there, there's an energy there that we don't serve like, oh, gonna go do my work. Oh, poor me. God's not letting me go. No. It's attitude. It's like, it's like when we talked about Caleb, it's like, where's the next battle? Bring it on. What's the next thing, God? I, this one's done. I can't do this anymore. Oh, you got to have something for me. What is it? Where is it? Let's go. Let's do it. 
I'm excited. God, if all I can do is write this check, I'm going to write this check and I'm going to write it with joy. If all I can do is sit here and pray, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray faithfully. And I'm going to do it with joy. If all I can do is write that birthday card, if all I can do is send that email or that text, if all I can do is make a phone call, if all I can do is invite people to my house to sit with me and and we can talk and fellowship together, if that's all I can do, I will do it with all that I am. I will not make excuses. I will not do it begrudgingly. I will do it with joy. The healthy church doesn't just serve. The healthy church serves with joy. There is a joy that comes from working together, serving together, doing things together. Because we realize we're not there for the joy. We're not there because we're, we're getting anything out of it. We're simply serving because it's, we've been blessed by God and given the ability and the opportunity to serve together. And we're so grateful. We find it a joy to be more like Christ and to be around others who are more like Christ. We find it a joy to be given opportunities to help others. We don't see them as a burden. We see them as, this is God has graced me with the ability to show his love to someone today. We find it a joy to be used as the hands and feet of Christ. Think about that. Think about that. The Bible is called the body of Christ. Jesus Christ, the one through whom all things are created. This eternal, loving, perfectly good God who came here. We are called his body. It's an honor. We get to be his hands. We get to be his feet. It's, it's, it's an honor. It should be a joy. You should go home from today's service and you're going to be like, oh, something's wrong. Ah, my face is so sore. Oh, I get it. I've been smiling all day. Those muscles got to work out because it was a joy to be with one another and to serve one another and to serve together. When you go to Times afterwards, or Chili's, or wherever you go, people should ask you, why do you look so happy? Because it was a joy to be in the house of the Lord. What are we looking for in a church? I think if we want a healthy church, then we need a church where we're not just serving, but we're also being served. We need a church where there's opportunities for us to teach if we're teachers, but also opportunities for us to learn if we're teachers. If we're those who minister in other ways, we need to be ministered to. When we serve, the church is stronger. New Christians come. Non-Christians are attracted. 
Christians grow in their faith. We, we together meet the needs of people in our communities and our communities recognize the difference, that there is a difference here, that the world can hear and see who Jesus is. And we help the world see this incredible miracle, this incredible, incredible miracle of what can happen when people come together not bound by anything else other than a common belief in Jesus Christ and his spirit that unites them. They come together, ordinary people come together and do extraordinary things for his glory. Are we looking for that church? Is that what we want our church to be? One where we serve and where we're being served? I hope so. Because that's a healthy church.